Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Opposites React, where me and Tyler talk about rando stuff for like a bit. Uh, today is, oh my gosh, July 22nd, 2020. This is episode 26. How's it going, Ty? Great, thanks. How are you? I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I have to live with you. Oh boy. Problems. <laughs> um, so what you been up to? Uh, not much out of the norm. You know, as as I pretty much always recap every week, you know, the usual games being played. Uh, a, little more pro- a little more progress in Last of Us Part, part 2. Really enjoying that still. Um, obviously, more more Apex, more MLB. Um, Apex, actually, I hit the I hit level 110 on the Battle Pass. So that goal checked. Part of that goal is checked off. That part of the grind is done. There's still 27 days left in the season, Ooh. I think. So it's like August. It's probably your fastest beat, isn't it? Or was the season uh, longer? No, this one was like a 90 days type okay. season. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty quick. Um, I, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the next season I start to like August 17th or something. Mm. There's been, I don't know, I was watching, you know, the other the videos I watch on YouTube, the other Apex guys, they were talking the other day about there being a new map coming for the next season. I hadn't heard anything about that. Maybe there was a leak or rumor that what, I missed. Season seven? It'll be season, um, uh, season six. Okay. It'll be season six. But apparently, it's been talking about like a like a smaller map, like almost really really close quarters. Mm. Uh, Isn't that Kings Canyon pretty much? Well, I can, King Canyon compared to World's Edge, yeah, it's a lot smaller. But I think this one's talking like a much smaller map. So I don't know if that's something that added to the rotation or if just like a, an event mode that's being yeah. teased. I don't know, but yeah, looking forward to that. Um, MLB is still good. Like I said, I, I also hit my MLB goal for the month already. I'm at uh, XP Diamond level thirteen, I think. Uh, Isn't there still platinum above that? It goes to prestige after oh, that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, diamond the and prestige. Word. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, the the new sixth inning program starts this Friday. So tomorrow they're gonna. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say tomorrow they would reveal the new bosses, but those were already leaked a couple weeks ago Aww. accidentally. So everybody knows. But they're gonna show the stats tomorrow for right. the bosses. I imagine they'll all be ninety nine cards again. As that, you would say, disgusting. The numbers, <laughs> the stats will be disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually made a tough choice, so I was really excited when this, when the most recent the fifth inning program started a few weeks ago. I was really excited to get that Larry Walker card because it was a great card. Like the stats across the board were amazing. Uh, he's a Canadian guy, left fielder. Like, sorry, not left fielder. I mean, a left, left hitting, left-handed batting pa- this. power hitter. You know what I'm trying to say? Good outfielder, everything. So I had him, and then I saw he was, he was selling on the market. He was still selling on the market for like 100k, and I'm like, man, because I just I was wanted he's like in human dollars. Uh. Would be like well, basically hundred bucks. Right. So I made the tough decision to sell them because, I, like, a I could buy them back further down the road if I want to. I sold them to finish off the National League collection. Mm. So it was like, for the weighing the pros and cons. Like, I basically sold one card, uh, and I was able to finish off, like, to finish off the National League collection. I had to buy Degrom for the Mets and Arenado for the Rockies, and so finishing those collections. I get the division rewards. I get the National League reward, which is like a 99 Gary Sheffield. So overall, I think it was a good decision. Maybe give me a lot more options on the team. Because, I mean, outfielders are like, like when I finished, when I got those new home run derby cards recently, my outfield's stacked now. I got, I got that Griffey. I got, when I hit Diamond uh, 1, I got the new Reggie Jackson, the 99 Reggie Jackson. Mm. So, like, as much as I like the Walker card, I have so many options in the outfield to play with. I might as well. Like, getting that Sheffield to play third was big because my probably my best third baseman besides... Before I got the Sheffield cards, probably that Eddie Matthews, the the ninety two, not the ninety nine. But Matthews. I thought Eddie was awesome. He's like good luck for everybody. <laughs> for Kevin, yeah, <laughs> uh, he's a good card. 
but that Sheffield card is pretty crazy across the board too. I haven't even tried it out yet, but mm. like stats are all maxed you don't even out. Don't know almost. if you get with it yet then. Well, the funny thing is, I'm actually not good with his. He has like an 86 diamond that I got at the start of the year as for like a pre-order type bonus mm. thing. Uh, the 86 Sheffield, I'm terrible with him. He has good stats, but something about his swing, mm-hmm. I just can't time it. So, but I, I would give the 99 a chance just because, like I said, those stats are almost maxed out. We're back to Eddie. We're back to Eddie. I really wanted that Josh Donaldson card they just dropped, but that's mm. I'm never gonna go twelve and zero in BR and to buy it on the market's like four hundred thousand stubs, so Jeez that's not happening. Please. Yeah, sell your collection. Yeah, <laughs> so I got nothing left to sell really. I've everything else is already locked in or already oh, sold. Nice. So the team is what it is for now. But like I said, but on the other side though too, I mean real baseball is starting tomorrow. The regular yes. season kicks off. Yes, craziness. The sport is coming back. Um, yeah, Yankees and Nationals and then Dodgers and Giants. So good Yay. to see some real baseball and. Checking out my fantasy team. Does MLB TV still have like a like a free game a day? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, 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 so as of well, as of like when and Friday when like when there's like fourteen games on Friday or whatever, or thirteen games. Um, yeah, some of those will be one of those will be free at least. Mm. Possibly, I don't know. So usually they, they make them all free usually on opening day. I don't know if they're gonna do that this time or not, but yeah, people are hyped. Do it. And then you got hockey starting on August first. NHL's back August first. Uh, what about NBA? Isn't that soonish too? Yeah, that's also, I believe, start of August. I think the Raptors opening against the Lakers. So it'd be oh a good. Oh, boy. Right off the bat, get LeBron. Yeah, so sports come back. Uh, movie theaters might be opening up soon around here again. So that's Nothing exciting. To see. It's great. Well, for now, yeah, because everything else got pushed back already. But what hopefully. What happened to your movie this week? Uh, Tenant got the indefinite delay. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like it'll come out this year. Yeah, most like people do. October, November ish. Yeah. But I think the Bond still supposed to come out in November, I if, think I don't, so. if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, what about you? Been watching anime? I have. Well, yes. Other than Animal Crossing, which <laughs> I talk about every week. And I mentioned last week that I was playing a game that I wasn't sure if I liked or disliked. I still don't know. Uh, but that is Paper Mario Sticker Star <laughs> on the 3DS. Uh, it is still not very good. But I have a thing where if I have a series, like I own most of the series except for the brand new one, Origami King. Mm-hmm. So I would hate to like one of them and not and go back and and not have the one that's part of the series. Like it would bother me severely. Yep. So I have to beat it. Like it's a disease. Um, but <laughs> in the time that I haven't been doing those two things, I've been watching Sword Art Online, like almost the whole series. So that's been great. Even though I don't think it's that good of a series. I, <laughs> I, it's good, but uh, I thought the first season was terrible and it got better. So I'm glad I stuck with it. Uh, but I really wanted the Sword Art Online new game, even though I've heard it's a hot pile of garbage without a patch so far. So I don't know if it's really worth it. But to play it, you sh- it's advised that you watch the first part of the third season of the anime. So I caught up to that. So now I'm good to go to play it if it magically shows up on my doorstep. So yeah, that's all I've been doing. What, without getting off on a tangent here, because I'm not I'm not an anime guy, but uh, you know I see videos online, obviously like Dragon Ball or mm-hmm. or the, the, the Avatar animated series, like Last Airbender. I, don't know I mean, if I've ever watched Avatar? But so like, what what makes an anime series stand out? Because a lot of it to me seems like there's a lot of familiar, obviously genre tropes, and the way the, oh, the way the, sure. the way the animation is for most of them is very similar. So like, what makes an anime series stand out to you? Probably the story is what hooks me. And, like, as long as I can't see the seams mm-hmm. is what really bothers me. Like, the, like for Sword Art, uh, for example, the first season was just trying to cram a relationship together. Did you... I was watching a video the other day about... Um, did you ever watch Cowboy Bebop? Yes. 
that's like an adult anime. Yeah. But it was good. I didn't approve. I no, like that one looks intriguing to me. Like the video I saw yeah, of that. Yeah. I would definitely watch that again. It was mm-hmm. great. Um, another one I really liked. It's more mature is Death Note. I didn't. I know there's an. I know it's on Netflix. Like a newer. I don't know if it's a remake or what. But I've watched the original anime. Loved it. Great story. Um, and yeah, more mature themes. Oh, we also uh, we started Danganronpa three on Friday. Remember? Yes, we did. Yeah. That one's so different so far. I don't know what to think of it yet. <laughs> Yeah, we're only past like the prologue part, but the, yeah, char- the characters seem interesting. Yeah, yeah, really, really diverse group, and they seem less annoying than the some of the people from two so far. So far, I like the I like the addition of the Monocubs so far. I hope they don't kind of overstay their welcome, yeah. but so far it's it's it, I like it different than the the Monokuma Monomi dynamic from Was the second game. Dan is the one that's quiet. Dan had problems. Mono Dam or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Dan Cub or whatever the heck his name is. Whatever. Yeah, but they seem less annoying so far. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but there's still lots of innuendo. So it's <laughs> weird playing playing this one. Obviously, through we had to play it on the through the Vita TV. Yeah. Um, because it's not well, we don't. It's on PS4. We don't have the PS4 version, right? Though, right. We, so this one definitely feels a bit more jankier when I'm controlling it. Yeah, the poor uh, audio takes a hit because yeah. it's so compressed. But no jam yeah. into the main theme. Yeah. Still good though. We'll get back on that. We we didn't get around to watching any Ghibli this week, but I did. I did look at the list, and I was right. I mean, I think I told you last week. I said I'm pretty sure the next one on the list is going to be to- no Totoro. Oh, okay. So Totoro is the next one we have to watch. And that's a short. That's a that short like one too. I think it's only like an hour and a half. So. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That should be easy to fit in then. Yeah. So. What do you uh, got for me? Well, uh, actually, before I get on the topic, I do want to make one sort of not a correction from last week, but <gasps> a something that I'm very sad that I'd overlooked last week. Last week, I had mentioned um, we were talking about ad- adapted screenplays, some of my favorite adapted screenplays, and I had my list on my phone in front of me, and I was when I was naming them off last weekend. I can't believe I don't know why I didn't put one on my list or why it over like right, I don't after, know if this is a correction. right after we finished the right after we finished the podcast last week. I, I was finished, and I thought to myself, "Oh my gosh, how could I forget? How could I leave off one of my favorite?" more recent adapted screenplays and because i talked to you about it recently uh that one called the drop oh yeah with uh tom hardy and james actually james gambolfini's last role i think right. before he passed away but tom hardy is great in it too and uh because yeah i read the book recently i read the book i think you guys got me the book for christmas yep. or yeah and i was actually no the thing i like again i've alluded to this before but the for the film the screenplay was written by the author of the book so you know oh, it's yeah, gonna be it's gonna be like a one to one type of and when I read the book it's there was a couple things in the book that were omitted for the sake of time but for the most part it was pretty much a one to one adaptation so that is one of my favorite screenplays uh, a lot of it has to do with the acting too the acting is so good I can't really picture anybody else doing that lead role I thought mm-hmm. it's one of Hardy's uh, most like least appreciated roles I think oh more than Locke. <laughs> You know, you say you mock every time, but I was reading a thread the other day on the Resetera forum, and people were talking. Like, someone made a thread, almost, like you would have made the thread. The thread title was something like "Is Tom Hardy a bad actor?" And everybody was like, "What?" And they started, and everybody in the thread said, "Lock." It was amazing. Well, everybody's because, wrong, and Reset is going down the tubes. No, it's true. Like everybody thinks of him as you know, they think of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises, they think of Mad Max, they think, think of, of, or even Inception, his role in Inception. But people cool. overlook, like yeah, I think the drop and Lock are two of his best, and nobody ever talks about him. Because they're bad. Not the drop. The drop's fine. But Locke is bad. Locke is a tire fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, moving on. You forward. brought up Tom yeah. Hardy, so I know. you have to bring I know up what I did. Cloudball's a donkey. So I guess, well, I guess it's logical for this week then to talk about like the other list I had from last week, which goes with the same theme as the ones, my favorite original screenplays. Yes. 
So again, a lot of these are recent. Like uh, the oldest one, the oldest, I only went back 20 years. The oldest one on this list would be from 2000. Most of them are from 2007 and on. As they do, because that was the year everything exploded. Of course. <laughs> but most recent one on this list, uh, for sure, is uh, the one that came out in 2016, uh, Hell or High Water. Of course. Yes, I know. Love that, that one. one. That was, uh, that guy's a great screenwriter, Taylor Sheridan. So he wrote, uh, he had like a great run. He, he started off, he wrote uh, Sicario. Oh, okay. came out a uh, year before that, I believe, the one with Benicio del Toro and uh, Emily Blunt. That's the good Sicario. Yeah, not the well. He did write the sequel too. Oh. The sequel wasn't as strong, but the first one was really good. So he wrote Sicario, then he wrote Hell or High Water, which yeah. is amazing, and then he wrote and directed oh, his first Wind River. Wind Ri- I yeah. was gonna guess Wind River. You gotta give me a second. Yeah, and now, and I'm really excited for. I don't. Know if, I said again. I don't know if it's gonna come to theaters this year or not because of what's going on. But definitely by next year. But it, it's that book that you. That other book that I read recently. That one called Those Who Wish Me Dead. Yeah. That is that him too. I guess. Yeah, he's 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 writing and directing that one, and I'm really excited for that because obviously the book was great. I know he's a good writer. I like the cast they have lined up for it. Uh, it's good to see. Uh, the 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 lead role is is a. Uh, it, the lead role is a female. Which is a bit different for like it, most of his movies are. Well, I mean Emily Blunt, I guess you could argue was probably the lead in Sicario, although most of the screen time towards the second half went towards Del Toro's character. But um, but at this time, like the, so, Angelina Jolie's cast as the lead in this oh, one. Oh man, what so has she done? It'd be cool to see her too, and then like a sort of like an action thriller. Nothing like obviously like her Tomb Raider days. Like she's not gonna be doing that kind of stuff. But like it's just cool to see her again in like a yeah, big role like this. Well, you say Maleficent's not big. That's her, like, that's her, like, hamming it up. Like, acting in a Disney that's movie fun. as, like, a wicked queen or whatever. Or witch, whatever she is. I don't remember what she is. A wizard? Isn't she a queen? Is she? I don't know. I don't know either. But, to okay. Disney Plus we go. Totally got sidetracked there. But anyways, <laughs> Hell of High Water is an amazing film. Brief summary. Uh, two brothers. The, the casting of the film is totally on point, too. The two brothers, Chris Pine and Ben Foster, they, uh, they have a plan to rob banks in Texas. Like, small banks. Because they're trying to get enough money together to uh, purchase back their, their mom's property that's been uh, foreclosed, being foreclosed on by the bank because their mom passed away and she couldn't afford the, all the back taxes they'd paid on the place and they're going to claim the house and you know probably sell it or whatever. But Because they also find out too that, well, the one brother found out that there was like oil under their land so he really wants mm. to keep the property before the bank gets because the bank's going to take all the oil money, obviously. So, you know, the film the film rides that line really of, of moral ambiguity because you have these brothers who are they're, they're robbing banks. They're not they're not out to hurt people. Like they're usually robbing these banks when they're empty first thing in the morning. They're not hurting the tellers or anything. They're just taking the money and running. They only need to raise like I don't know, was it thirty forty thousand something like that. It's not like they're robbing you know huge amounts, but um, yeah, they only hit. And the then they, and then like they go to the casino to launder the money. Mm-hmm. Like they gamble it and then they get clean money back kind of thing. It's a really good scheme. But so my, the other great dynamic in the movie though is the. The marshals that are on their trail, uh, Jeff Bridges and his partner, they're, they're great too. And I'm not going to spoil. I really don't want to spoil anything. Cause it's such uh, a good movie. But I believe you already did spoil the ending on one of these. Did I? I well, if I did, so. well, if I did, I'm sure I gave a spoiler warning beforehand. But if if you didn't listen to that one, or if you're don't intrigued now, yeah, definitely go watch the film. It has probably one of my favorite ending. It also, I have another topic for a different week. But one of my favorite endings. This would definitely be in my top ten endings list. Of uh, the last 10, 15 minutes are just so well acted, so so well written and directed. Everything's just amazing. Uh, one of my favorite films of the last decade for sure. And uh, it did get, like I said, it did get nominated for original screenplay. I was happy for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it won, but definitely deserved the nomination. <clears throat> Next one on the list, well, we watched this one recently, so you can attest to this. But uh, so I think this was the year before, so 2015. I mean, it was, 20, was it 2016 or 2015? But um, Spotlight. I loved Spotlight. That's such a good screenplay too because That's it, original. Well, it's, well, isn't it, well, yeah, it's based on true facts, right. but it's not based on a particular book or right. article. There, like the well, it is an article, is it not? 
Well, yeah, but they didn't take it like verbatim. Like, like the, the more, most of the movies are exploring the characters, the 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 the, the, the journalists, not yeah. necessarily like obviously the the um, Scenario, like the, the controversy around right. Them. The controversy itself is the main focus of the film, but it focuses a lot too on the journalists and their lives and their reactions to the story, how it affects them. But yeah, it's just it's such a lean. Like it, I think the movie's probably about two hours, but it never yeah, never has like any it. pacing issues. Mm-mm. So well written, uh, and I've rewatched it many times, and every time I can appreciate something different about. Yeah, just like it, it would be, it would be, it's kind of subject material you could easily make like a mini series out of, yeah. but to condense it all into a two hour film, so make it all feel complete, it was really impressive. Yeah, like it made like, me want to know more about the, yeah. and so I can do more research about it, but I definitely have this, the book that's based on in my like wish list because I'm, I want to like to know more. Uh, okay, going down the list here. Uh, I, didn't write, I didn't write the years for these. I apologize. I think this one might be 2013 or 2014. This is another one of my favorite screenplays in the last decade. Um, again, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this one. You might have heard it, listened to it, I've watched it before, but it's called Nightcrawler. Oh, this is Jake Gyllenhaal. The Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> one when he's a um, sort of like, uh, I don't know what the term is for it, but he basically, he troll he trolls for crime scenes. He would, right. go to, he would show up on crime scenes in film and try and get scoops and sell them to TV stations. Like you take videos of like people that just got involved in car accidents or at one point, well, the biggest turning point of the film, but halfway through the film, minor spoiler is you see it in the trailer is like, he, he sees like a home invasion happening yeah. and the family gets murdered and he, he like walks into the house and videotapes the bodies before the police get there. And then he, so he gets you know, involved in that, um, which has, again, this movie has probably one of the best endings in my opinion too. It's a really good, the last half, half hour of the film was so intense for a movie that you know doesn't really have obviously a lot of action, it's just a lot of dialogue, a lot of people talking. But yeah, Gyllenhaal's character is so good in the film too, and I love how so many things about the, the performance you can appreciate. Like the screenplay is so good too, especially his his rapport with his sort of like um, I don't want to say his colleague. Like he hires somebody to work with him to basically drive him around to these places mm-hmm. and help him find the scoops. But uh, his yeah, his, the, the the relationship that develops between the two of these guys over like the hour and a half they're together in the film was amazing and it has a really great ending um i feel this movie was very underappreciated it is definitely very much so i think uh, i think i like too about this one it's written written directed by dan gilroy now he is the brother of um his i think him and his brother together they wrote most of the born films oh and by most i mean i'm pretty sure earlier ones i'm pretty sure they wrote they didn't write, you know, the one without without yeah. Matt Damon. I think they wrote that the count. Hmm? that doesn't count. Right, yeah. they wrote like the main the main trilogy. Yeah. Like I don't think they even wrote the new one either. Like the new Jason. Well, maybe I don't know. I can't remember honestly, but yeah, they he's known for writing the Bourne films, and uh, he did some other other work on the side too. I think he's a good writer. I'm uh, not not sure he's a great director necessarily, but like the film the film was badly directed. Just the directing didn't stand out to me, but right. writing and what he got out of Jalen Hall was amazing casting. So. Um, uh, next on the list, uh, this one, I think this one's 08. I want to say it's 08 or 09. Um, and again, I know you've seen this one. It might've been a while, but you've seen it before. Definitely. Um, uh, in Bruges, you know that one? I've seen this once. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Yes. Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Ray Fiennes. Great casting. Dialogue is so, is this, this was Martin McDonough and he's done a few other really good films since then. He did one called Seven Psychopaths. I don't think you've seen that one. No. And then he did that also called Fairly. And he did another one after that. The one that got the most sort of like Oscar buzz for him was that one called um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's What's the one with... a long name. Yeah. That's the one with uh, Frances McDormand and uh, Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell. That's when the main character's daughter gets murdered and she puts up the billboards. Remember the... Co- I showed you the trailer for this because oh, the cops haven't found the killer or anything. It's really like a dark... It's a dark comedy slash drama. Um 
but in Bruges definitely would classify as a dark comedy. Um, cause like, yeah, <laughs> Colin, Farrell's character, Colin Farrell's, Farrell's character does such a 180 in this film. Like being in the movie, you kind of hate him because you think he's just a jerk. He's just mean to everybody. And you understand why he's, he's with his friend whose friend is so nice to him. The, you know, Brendan Gleeson who's mad eye moody to you. <laughs> he's <laughs> me, yeah. Harry Potter fan. Yeah. You. But, uh, then you realize like, like a minor spoiler here is revealed pretty early on in the film, but the reason why, uh, Colin Farrell's character, oh, I cannot remember his main character's name right now. Him and his his par- him and his you know partner, his hitman partner, they're they're away on this. What do you think is like a vacation? They're at this place called Bruges, which I think is in somewhere like Holland, Denmark area, kind of like somewhere in the Europe there. But uh, but he, they were kind of sent away by their boss, who was the Ray Fiennes character. I remember his name was Harry. <laughs> they were sent away by him um, because Colin Farrell botched a job. He was supposed to kill a priest that. I don't know if the priest owed the Ray Fiennes character money or if it's something to do with some past transgression, but he he does end up killing the priest when the process he accidentally kills a child of the church in the crossfire. Oh, oh the nice. little boy gets killed praying or whatever. So yeah. that really messes up Farrell's character. And uh yeah. So again, this is one of my films that has a really great ending. Again, I'm not gonna spoil it here, but the writing of this film is just so good. It's so um and it's hard to explain. Like it's it's definitely not American humor. Mm. Like it's it's very very British, very dry. dry, very dry humor. But uh, the movie does a really good job of balancing too. Again, like so how you feel about these characters. Like you always feel really good about the Brendan Gleeson character. He seems like a nice guy, uh, and he has sort of a redemption arc towards the end of the film. And but like I said, the Colin Farrell character does the biggest one eighty in terms of how you feel about him towards the end. You're really sympathetic and almost rooting for him. And even the Ray Fiennes character, who initially you just think is just like this you know mob boss jerk who's hilarious because he just swears like nonstop. But uh, even towards the end of the film too, you see how he has, he has his principles and why he wants to, to finish this job to why he wants the Colin Farrell character, Colin Farrell character killed off, even though his, his partner doesn't want to do it. But <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a really good script. I think it got some award recognition back then, like a nomination at least or something. But uh, yeah, I definitely recommend that one. Uh, if you want to see like a, you know, like a dry comedy, uh, Eh, there's some there's some action there's some, there's some killing and shooting in it um it's 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 a really good again the pacing though all pretty much all the films I would have on this list, I'd say one of the issues is never pacing the pacing is always great on these films they're all probably around two ish hours under just under two hours and we're not talking about any like three hour overblown you know Michael Bay type stuff here <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah in Bruges really good film uh, now the next three on this list are gonna be really good. Uh, I could As probably post those other not. So well, no, I'm just saying like ones. I could I, I could probably talk for like half an hour about just Hell or High Water itself. Mm. Um, but the next year on the list for sure, I could probably spend a lot of time talking about, but I'm going to try and condense them to a few minutes each. Um, I know you got a soft spot for the next one on the list. This isn't, this was <gasps> 07. Lars and the Real I Girl. Know. Lars and the Real Girl is such a unique screenplay. Um, not only because of the subject material, like. Like, how do you come up with that idea? Like, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure she, it's based on a story she heard somewhere before, oh, like a, a friend. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was written and directed by a woman. Okay. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. So again, like the casting is great in this movie. Yeah, again, I can't really picture anybody else but Ryan Gosling doing this role the way he just he killed it as Lars. But it could have been done so wrong, though. And, right. Like, made it could have been comedy. V- it could have been very over the top. But yeah. he does such a subdued performance, very held back. But that's that's the character, right? Like it's yes. to do a brief synopsis. Like the the main character, he he um. He's living like in a his brother, his brother and his um and his sister in law. They live uh, in the house that I think their father used to live in before he died. And Lars kind of lives in the the Ryan Gosling character. Lars he lives in the garage, the detached garage off on the property there. Um, he's 
you know, described as a, you see him working at an office throughout the film. He's an office worker of some kind, but he doesn't really have too many relationships. Like definitely not with women, but even like friendships with people. He's just very introverted, mm-hmm. you know, maybe has some, some kind of mental issues. You're not quite sure, but he's just very shy and held back. So, um, and then pretty early on in the film, probably, probably in the first half hour. Or so definitely it's revealed that he, you know, he ordered something that was a big box that was mailed to him to his garage. And when he, he says he met, he met someone online. So his, his brother and, and sister-in-law are so excited. They're getting ready to have them over for dinner. And then the reveal it just immediately cuts to them sitting at the dinner table and he's sitting there with a blow up doll. Not really a blow up. Well, not, doll. not, not, not in the context you think of, or just like a generic, like pink, you know, with no features or anything. This was like a very it's detailed. Not blow up. It's like an actual inflatable. It's inflatable. It was not inflatable. It wasn't. No. What do you call it then? It's a, plastic doll like it's it was plastic but it's not yeah. inflatable like it's heavy okay it's almost like a mannequin yes it's sort of like a mannequin right you're right i'm sorry it was not inflatable it was more like a mannequin but anyway so this woman this girl this, this you just have this mannequin sitting on the table with like a you know like a full wig and makeup oh, and, yeah. and full clothes on everything russian. was she russian yeah was that the what was, sure was her name oh bianca yes. bianca was the name yeah you sure it was russian oh it's definitely yeah. european i don't know if it was I'm russian, sure russian. Yeah, i'll look it up after yes you will but anyways um but yeah, so like, like I said, the movie could definitely play it off as like a screwball comedy, but they didn't. They took the source, they took it very seriously. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Don't even, I already have it. I already have it a thing up in my. So I was looking it up earlier. Hang on a second. Oh, hang on. No, here we go. Um, it says, yeah, he met th- uh, met via the internet a wheel a wheelchair mobile missionary of Brazilian and Danish descent. So not Russia. No, not Russia. <laughs> But yeah, and that's the other thing too is that the character is apparently always in a wheelchair. Yeah, like, well, so. she's not going to walk. Well, exactly. So that that's sort of his like Lars sort of like creates a scenario in his head yes. of of you know her background and why she's in a wheelchair. So he makes up the whole elaborate backstory for. Her. Initially, of course, his brother and sister-in-law think he's crazy. Of course, but they want to support him because this means a lot to him. And he lives in a they live in a small town. I'm not sure exactly where in the like central or midwestern U.S. somewhere, but. Um, but yeah, it's so like the whole, even the whole townspeople sort of like take to this. They treat her like a real person to, you know, make Lars happy and take her on picnics yeah. and drives. And um, but anyways, like it's, so it's revealed that like Lars has, so the reason why Lars has some psychological issues, like his mother died when he was born, like died through childbirth mm. to him. So he never knew his mother, obviously. And his father was very distant to him because his wife died because of, so he blames Lars for, you know, for his wife dying. Right. So, and, and then his older brother, Gus had moved out likes and left Lars with his dads which kind of like you know he had no brother to fall back on his dad was distant to him so his childhood was probably obviously very very distant and traumatic but so this is why he doesn't have a lot of relationships especially with women I guess but uh, he does eventually towards in the film he does develop a relationship uh, with a co-worker of his that uh, I won't spoil anything about the ending but it's, it's very sweet and it, the movie has a great very great second act that um, or third act I should say that uh, definitely uh yeah, we're looking at details. It's just it's very it's very it pulls it together. It's a great it's a great ending. It's a it's a happy happy sad ending. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but definitely a unique screenplay. One of my favorites of the last uh, couple decades. Next on the list is also from this again. Oh seven crazy year. Yes, um, we always say that. That's gonna be, uh, we already mentioned last week we had No Country for Old Men as being an adapted screenplay. Now for an original screenplay from oh seven, uh, another really good film that I think is overlooked a lot. Uh, especially for the writing and the performances, is it's called Michael Clayton. Oh yeah, George Clooney. George Clooney, yeah, the one where he plays a. How do you describe his position? He's like they call him a fixer throughout the film. He's a guy he he works for a law firm and they send him out to take care of like messy jobs before they get to like like for well wealthy clients. Like the movie literally opens with George Clooney being called to this guy's house. The guy obviously has a uh, he has a retainer through an expensive law firm. 
So uh, he gets called to his wealthy client's house. The guy had just hit somebody while he was out driving at night. It was like a hit and run. Type. Somebody was jogging and he didn't see him. He hit the guy and took off. So, you know, now Clooney's called in to kind of clean up this mess. Not to actually clean up the physical body, but just like what did they do about the car? Because the car is still in the dude's garage with the damage on it. And the cops are going to track him down soon because of his, you know, unique paint job on this vehicle or something. So Clooney basically is giving this guy his options. Um, and, you know, like I said, he's a cleaner. He does these dirty jobs. That uh, now it's also revealed early on in the film that he's apparently he was at some point a, a big gambler in the past. He racked up a lot of debts, which his employer I think helped him pay off at some point. Like like loaned him a lot of money, and then Clooney like bought a bar I think with his brother or brother-in-law or something. But he bought a bar, which is again bleeding him a lot of money. Like he's just it, throughout the film, the guy is shown as smart as his character is shown to be. He's shown to have a lot of you know flaws when it comes to business. I guess you know in terms of how he handles money and other debts he gets himself into so um the movie does turn quite pretty quickly from a very cool character drama into almost like a conspiracy thriller because you have this other character who's a good friend of of michael's of clooney's character um and i can't remember the name of the character but it's played by tom wilkinson he's a great great british actor and so his character knows of a conspiracy involving a um a chemical company or something to do with some kind of poisoning going on with crops i think i can't remember the exact plot but it, takes, it does take a turn to conspiracy thriller, theory, uh, conspiracy theory thriller, and the the film is so well written though. Again, perfectly paced, um, like never never slows down, especially in the second half when it really kicks in. Um, and the the ending is again, I, I say it for most things on this list, one of my fav- one of my favorite endings for a movie that mostly involves a lot of talking. It's not a lot of action. There's some deaths. I'm not gonna say what but there's some deaths there's some explosions but it's not that type of film it's very it's very subdued uh in terms of the material it's presenting but it's also very exciting and i think in the last 15 20 minutes when you put all the pieces together and you realize how smart this character really is and the movie literally i like movies that end this way with when it ends uh the end credits just show like a character driving around for like as the credits play over for like four or five minutes and you're just reading the emotions on it. there's no dialogue but you're just reading the emotion on the character's face after everything he's been through in this film especially the way the movie ends and it's one of my favorite endings for just how you know how difficult it must be because again there's no dialogue the only acting you're seeing is from the character's face in the back of a of a taxi and you're just and then it turns processing into yeah exactly <laughs> and then it's like was in a collateral um so uh, finally, the last one I'm going to re- finish off with here. This is going all the way back to, to the year 2000, so we're going 20 years ago. But in my opinion, probably one of the best, not only one of the best screenplays of the last 20 years, probably one of the best screenplays ever. Oh boy! Yeah, Heavy ever. Because ever, it is, ever. it is a movie that I've probably seen at least 10 times. I could watch it right now and not skip a beat. You know, like it's it's one of those films like for being a two two-ish. Uh, hour-long film uh i never feel like wanting to skip any part of it for a very important even though i've seen it many times because there's just something about the way this film is written that is so interesting and you pick up something new every time you watch it because of the way it's before i go into the detail i might as well just preface no, what i'm no, saying no no I no, no. Oh. yeah well so the, okay so the movie is it's christopher nolan's first feature film not his oh. first film because he did do sort of a he did a film in 97 the called following? the following yeah we're just called following. Not the oh, I think it's just right. called following, but that was a very low budget. That was his like black and white type yeah. starter film. Memento was his first big like studio film with like you know Hollywood actors. So you had like Guy Pearce in it. You had 
Joe Pantoliano, he was in The Matrix and Sopranos and stuff. Yeah, Carrie Ann Moss, also from The Matrix. Um, but Guy Pierce carried the role. He was the lead character. Leonard, um, oh dear God, what was his last name? How do I not know this? Seems to be so many times. Leonard, what was his last name? And they just call him Lenny throughout the film. So, but uh, the main thing with the film is so the character, the very beginning, the film, <laughs> again, I could spend hours just talking about this film. Without getting into too many spoilers, though, the film opens in like a reverse chronological order. Yeah. So it, the film constantly throughout the screenplay, it switches between color scenes and black and white scenes. And the reason it does that is because when you see a black and white scene, you know it's something that happened in the past, like chronologically. And mm-hmm. a color scene is something that happened in the present. But the movie goes in sort of a, so the movie. <laughs> it's a movie. I know. It's so hard to explain. <laughs> it's just such a, it's, it's such a mind screw. Like it. I've watched it once, and I've never watched it since because it screwed with me so bad the first There's time. one point when, because usually the black and white scenes and the color scenes are separate, but there's one amazing piece of directing on Nolan's part where towards the end of this film, there's a scene where it segues perfectly from black and white into color, and it stays color the rest of the film. And that, that is so, it's so cool because it, it finally reveals to you that because you're following this character's journey throughout this film, you're learning the same way he does. That's why the plot is so confusing the first time because it's so disjointed, but because the main character has amnesia. But it's a very selective form of amnesia. He can remember things that happen, but he'll forget them like 10 minutes later. So when he remembers things, he has to either write them down and put a note. And then he eventually writes all these notes down and he gets some tattooed on his body. Mm-hmm. So throughout the film, he's finding all these other tattoos. And he'll see it like, I don't think it says step, it says step two or step or number two. But there'll be like numbers or steps on his body. He's trying to basically find the identity of his wife's killer. Mm-hmm. Someone broke into his house and, and killed his wife in like a home invasion type thing. Um, and he's trying to find out who the killer is, but again, because of his amnesia, which he, which he apparently got in the attack, like he tried to defend his wife. Someone hit him on the head. He passed out. When he woke up, he had this condition, right? But there's so much more to it than that. Uh, I won't, I'm not going to spoil anything, because honestly, this film is one of the best third act reveals ever uh, that just makes your jaw, even when watching it now, it makes your jaw drop. Just, I don't remember it. You don't, I'm not going to get into it, but... Um, yeah, definitely one of my favorite. One of my, it's one of the best screenplays ever. It's just... And uh, like, it's his first real film. You know what I mean? Like he he always when he made Inception in 2010, he talked about wanting to write Inception for like over a decade. He'd been working on that script like mm-hmm. over and over, rewriting it with his brother, going over all these fine details. You can definitely tell the level of detail in Inception and the originality of that film is is exciting. But something about Memento that's just at the time no one had ever seen a film like it. Like not only the way it was directed with that whole black and white color transition I mentioned, but just with the plot being all over the place. But then putting those pieces together at the end and wanting to rewatch it and then seeing, finding different threads every time to, to connect the dots, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite screenplays ever. And it's definitely should be, if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it like as a watch it and then process it and watch it again the next day and maybe watch it a third time, you know, just to, and not only, not only is the writing great, it's the directing, it's the casting, the music is so good too. Um, Yeah. These are one of my favorite films, and I'm pretty. I don't even. I didn't even check to see if it's like available on a, a 4K format. If it's not, if yeah, whenever it is, I will definitely pick it up. Most of the one stuff has gone to 4K now, but I don't think they've done Memento yet. But that would be exciting. Yeah, definitely check that one out for sure. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's on. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. It might be on Amazon or something. Check check your streaming services. If not, you could probably find a copy somewhere. Like even on Amazon, you probably find a Blu-ray for like ten bucks or something. But yeah, Memento is amazing yeah i should probably watch it you should like watch it again more times yeah exactly what's going on yeah well on that note i've ba- i've babbled long enough um <laughs> we need to wrap this up you want to say anything else before we get off tonight or i got nothing yeah nothing i hope sticker star gets better 
So next week, we have one or two options I want to discuss. We can either discuss um, my favorite film endings, which is going to be hard for me to condense in a half an hour, but I'm going to try my best. Or we can talk about um, my favorite uses of music in film. Oh, I like music. Yeah, I think we'll do the music one next. It's very uses interesting. Uses of music. So not even yeah. pieces, but uses. So, yeah, I'm not, talk- I'm, not talking specifically, I'm not talking specifically about which scores I find the best. But like, like when the strings go all crazy. Or just like, like or, e- or even... Scene in the right. Scene, or know. even movies that don't use music for selected reasons. Okay, you know? yeah. I have very I have a few examples of those that are very interesting. So and silence, mm-hmm. silence is sometimes better than yeah. So yeah, we'll talk about that next week. So on that note, we will wrap up tonight's episode. Hope everybody stays safe out there. And uh, if you're like I said, if you're a baseball fan, get ready for some baseball, some live baseball tomorrow. And hearing about it here. Yes, I shall. Yeah, well. Hopefully by next week I'll have a well we'll have a Ghibli update for you. Obviously we're gonna watch Totoro over the weekend probably. Uh, we'll do some more Danganronpa. Uh, mm. I definitely want to make some more progress on The Last of Us Part Two. Oh man! And then yeah, I don't really I, I can kind of wean off Apex a bit because like I said I've already hit that mark. Baseball even I haven't played it that much the last few days. Although when the new inning comes out on Friday I will be going hard on that again probably this weekend. But such is life <laughs> for Tyler. <laughs> for Tyler anyway. We need to get you on something. You need to sticker star. Yeah, sticker star. So exciting. I know. Anyways. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. As always, stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Boys. Bye.